This is the Multi Geek Show October Cast number two of five. Yes, and uh, in this October Cast, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, some of the things that we maybe didn't talk about last time. That seemed like well, these seem like October subjects. It's strange that they didn't bring these things up. Well, we're going to bring them up this time. I think um, the first thing we established last time was that you love all things spooky and that Halloween is your favorite holiday. Right. So I wanted to jump right in and just ask the question, why is it that you like Halloween so much? Why do you love Halloween? And even then, Mm -hmm. more than Christmas, more than Thanksgiving, more than the 4th of July, (laughs) what is it about Halloween that you love? Um, I don't know. I just do. <laughs> hey. That was very good. That was very good. Yeah, because I specifically told Jason, "Don't just say I don't know. I just do." Um, very good. Yeah. Uh, well, it started when I was very, very young, like younger than five. That kind of stuff, just spooky stuff. Not even Halloween, but just spooky stuff in general, always appealed to me. I would uh, when we went to like movie rental places, I would always go. Or I'd be drawn to the horror section, you know, and I look at all the covers. And, hmm. of course, back then, being as young as I was, my parents wouldn't let me rent any of those things. Or, you know, they wouldn't rent them for me. Um, but as I got a little bit older, I started getting into, like, spooky books and things. Um, scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was one of my first, like, scary books. Yeah. And I was really drawn to that cover. It had, like... Um, the like a skeleton head coming out of the ground with a pipe in its mouth, and it just really caught my attention. I, I, I love that cover. Um, so getting that, getting into that, um, you know, just a little bit older, they, I would beg them. First of all, I had to beg them to buy that book, but I would beg them to like rent me these movies like uh, Critters and, you know, I liked Monsters and Creatures. Yeah, and those were R-rated movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how old are you now? Like eleven. <laughs> Yeah, really, really young. Um, but they would eventually do it, and so- sometimes I would get scared, but mostly um, I wouldn't. So I would just like that stuff a lot. So I, that's how it all started, I guess. No, that's I, I, I didn't know it was so young because most children uh, are afraid of those things very young. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for you to have a, a I guess, a natural drawing towards those things is it's that's very interesting to me yeah i've never heard of a case personally like where i've known someone mm-hmm. who has been drawn to that kind of thing at such an early age right and usually I, it's I've, quite the reverse yeah I've, tr- I've tried to figure out you know why that is and i just i, I don't i'm not sure what it could be but hmm. maybe if such a thing exists in a past life i had some dealings with something yeah know, that, I, that is bleeding through into this one and i don't know something anything it could be anything i don't know but um but then just about spookiness in general and all that stuff i just like those atmospheres i like the you know like the image of a jack-o'-lantern on a porch in the dark just glowing orange sure um just different stuff like that really appealed to me you know bats and skeletons i you know, as young as I was, I always loved skeletons, and I would always ask my dad to draw them for me because I just liked them so much. Yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I don't believe in past lives or anything like that, but uh-huh. I, I, I think that 
what you're describing, um, however you want to say it, is that I think that certain people are created certain ways. They are built certain ways to enjoy certain things, and mm-hmm. I think that this captures the essence of it's like everything that you love all wrapped into one. Mm-hmm. I just know that for me, I feel the same way about the band Metallica. Mm-hmm. More so than the average person. Um, and it's weird because the only way that I can describe it is they embody what I would like to create. Not copy them, mm-hmm. but the style that they choose to do it, the way they execute it, the things that they put out. I think, yes, that's how I would do it. That's how I would want to do it. That is a good way to do it. And then, so enjoying the way that they do it, I think personally, I um, I relate to them so much that I in turn think like that's the best because in my mind it's an idealized version of how I would want to do it so maybe you're the next great horror writer or horror artist or whatever it is and you don't even know it yet Mm. but from a young age those things were just something that you were drawn to because these you know skeletons and you know the the candles and the jack-o'-lanterns those are things that you really want to create and take photos of and things like that and so seeing it all around you it's like the ultimate embodiment because it's halloween and then all around you it's like yes yes this is exactly how my mind works and everybody's yeah. decorating in it right yeah you know that's just a thought kind of out loud mm-hmm. no, that's um pretty true uh you're familiar with hp lovecraft yep uh, i know you like him very much mm-hmm. um that's he is his name is, is howard phillips lovecraft and listeners if you've not heard of hp lovecraft he's been around since the very late 1800s is when he was born, but he's an American author. He writes horror, uh, some horror fantasy, and then science fiction. Um, back then, they just called it weird fiction. Mm-hmm. Back in you know the early 1900s, but he invented something called cosmic horror, and that's the idea that life is. Incomprehensible to human minds, and that the uni- the universe is fundamentally alien. It's all foreign. It's just genuinely, you will eventually lose your reason if you try to do what he called staring into the abyss or any of that kind of things. And it, in any event, he invented a lot of crazy creatures, you know, uh, Cthulhu, um, and and just a bunch of things that are cosmically insane like we are just these little microscopic creatures looking into the abyss and the more we try to discover the unknown the more we'll go into madness Mm -hmm. well he wrote some really neat stories but the reason why i'm bringing him up is because he wrote this essay and the essay is called supernatural horror in literature and he said one of the i think most accurate things about horror and this is what i was thinking about when i read this i thought of you Mm -hmm. and it's this in the introduction he says quote The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. Now, I think that for whatever reason, you have a desire to experience that emotion, but you have a control over it that most people don't have. You understand that it's fake. You understand that you're not really in any danger if you subject yourself to certain movies or books and that you like feeling that feeling because, as he says it, the strongest emotion of mankind is fear. So if you can dial that back and make it this controlled emotion, you can actually make it something that brings you an adrenaline rush and almost a happiness, a high, if you will, of feeling that, like, oh, feeling that 
caring for another character or fearing for another character just momentarily mm-hmm. or just feeling that that thing and i think that it's a powerful emotion and i think i think you have a strong mindset of knowing that there's no way this stuff's real mm-hmm. if you watch a movie about a vampire you shouldn't then be afraid of a vampire later that night because had you never watched the movie and you were sharing with with me how you thought about this when you were younger mm-hmm. if you had never watched the vampire movie you never would have feared the vampire. Right. Like, you have just created this new thing to be afraid of, but you've just introduced it. And now you're like, I don't want to look out from under the covers because there'll be a vampire there. Meanwhile, if you'd never watched the movie, you'd never have that fear. Yeah. And so, tell me a little bit about that. You were saying you had this realization when you were very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? How old around? Oh, uh, seven or eight, maybe. And what was this? What did you figure out? Well, just exactly what you just said, that if I had never, let's say I'm watching Nightmare on Elm Street, if I had never watched that, then I would never have been afraid of of Freddy, you know, invading my dreams when I'm sleeping. Right. So even though I watched it, it it doesn't, it shouldn't affect me in that way because if I hadn't watched it, you know, nothing would have happened anyway. Yeah. So I guess that's what it, nothing's going to happen anyway, whether I watch it or not. Yeah, exactly. And that's I feel the exact same way personally. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things I don't subject myself to, like things that I just don't want. I don't know. I guess I just don't want to expose myself to certain things, but it's personal preference. Mm-hmm. I can't even list anything right now, but there are just things where it's like there's one thing about like getting a good scare or seeing a cool creature or something like that. And then there's like levels of being demented or twisted like to the faces of death kind of stuff yeah stuff where it's like people's snuff films snuff films and yeah, those kinds of like things stuff either. yeah you know i i just where the creativity is gone and it goes into just morbid celebration of death yeah or you know those kinds of things i'm not really into that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. um i guess that i also am similar to you in that i know that it's not real and so it doesn't affect me in a way that it would affect some people i, I i've been hanging out with people and we'll just have finished a quote-unquote scary movie Mm -hmm. and i think in one of the scary movies there was a it wasn't even a scary movie in the sense that there was a monster it was more of like a man versus man kind of thing there was a a crazy person on the loose a thriller Mm -hmm. suspense Mm -hmm. and one of the things that the the crazy person on the loose did was he would knock on the door and when people looked through the peephole he would like use a drill or something crazy Mm -hmm. and there was a girl that I knew who was afraid to look out her peephole because she had instilled this fear in her head that now there was this person on the other side of the door now with a drill. Right. Where in my head, I don't think that way. Mm-hmm. I'm more afraid of uh, someone running a red light and hurting someone I love. <laughs> you know, those are the kinds of things that I yeah, think. like real life things. Yes. Things actually happen. Correct. Like a drunk driver. Yeah. I actually had someone, right. a very close person to me, a drunk driver ran a red light, and boom. I mean, she's alive, but to me, I'm more afraid of other people's ignorance than I am of Michael Myers really right. coming to life. And yeah, I'm, yeah. you know, that's the least of my worries. Right. So, um, but anyway, that's just an interesting study. I just wanted to ask you why you love things spooky, and just kind of go into it because you do. You have a great love for them, and I kind of had some thoughts on it, mm-hmm. and just kind of wanted to bounce them off of you, but. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say about that in particular? Any last notes or anything else you would want people to know when considering that? Or maybe there are people out there who are the opposite of you, and they're terrified and would never watch scary movies. Mm-hmm. But maybe there are people who are very similar to you. Is there anything you would want to say to them, either one? 
I just say if if you're scared of it, just just watch it because nothing's gonna happen to you. It's unless you watch the ring, and in seven days you'll die. No, I'm that's true. No, that's a scientific fact. It is. That's a documentary. No, it's just. I mean, just think about like myself. I've seen so many horror movies and I watch them over and over, and so many other people watch them too, and nothing happens to these people. All these movies have been watched millions of times by millions of people, and nothing's happened to these people. Well, let me throw this out. That we've heard of. Dun, dun, dun. If you go and watch a feel-good sports movie Uh or a wacky cult comedy. Angels in the Outfield. Let's say that one. (laughs) Will then an angel visit you on a baseball field? Or perhaps if you watch the movie Hoosiers, will a basketball coach come storming in your room and give you a ridiculous pep talk that's going to make you want to scale a mountain? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's let's translate this over to other genres. If okay. you watch Live Free or Die Hard, uh-huh. are you afraid that while you're on the freeway, a Harrier jet with Bruce Willis on top of it is going to ascend on your daily morning commute? I say no. It's just, and again, it goes back to something that whether you whether you like H.P. Lovecraft's writings, agree with them, think he's awful, think he's great, think he's terrible, think he's wonderful, he's right that one of the oldest and strongest emotions is fear. And movies designed to evoke fear are one of the longest lasting sensations. You know, those films are burned in our brains more mm-hmm. than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. So I, think, I, I just um, think it's interesting. What a lot of people do, I think, is they make it worse in their their mind than it actually is. I agree. Like you'll, maybe somebody that is afraid of movies like that, and they see the covers, they just create this whole big thing in their head, like it's so bad. And then you actually watch it, and they they may be like, "Oh, well, the effects were kind of fake. It didn't really yeah. scare me." Yeah, I agree. It's yeah. So so yeah, I think I've seen many horror movie covers since I was little that I was terrified about, like, oh no. Mm-hmm. And then really, like, it was before I understood a movie's budget or that you could have bad acting oh, yeah. or that there was any such thing as a bad plot or a cliche. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I would actually see him, I'd go, when does it get bad? When does <laughs> it get really scary? Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been down that road. Mm-hmm. So I agree. It's worse in our heads. Um, and I, I, I think I've told you this before but uh someone who worked with me when i did theater in high school um it was this guy richard from the the orlando shakespeare company and he said that if you're doing a fight scene it's the suspense before the fight that terrifies the audience because nothing you can do is as bad as what they'll imagine yeah so it's two people circling with knives that creates terror once the people once there's fake blood or someone actually uh, gets fake stabbed or whatever you want to say, that suspense is now has turned into violence, which isn't as terrifying. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think gore flicks about slashers and things like that, they're not as terrifying as psychological horror right? in the whole, like on the whole, because eventually your slasher film, yeah, oh, it's okay, it's a chase, it's a chase, violence. It's like it's that relief yeah. Of the suspense, but it's the movies that keep you in suspense the entire time, like Paranormal Activity. Yeah. That's you're hanging in suspense mm-hmm. for an hour and change. That is the, I think that's the draw of that movie. Right. You know. I agree. So cool. All right. Well, we have uh, 
couple of uh, new co-hosts. I don't know what happened to our last co-host. He actually disappeared, which is strange. But um, so we'll go ahead and just give it to them. Uh, hey, everybody. This is the Jersey Devil. I'm here with my brother, the Mothman. Um, say hello to everybody, Murray. Uh, Murray has a bit of a speech impediment, as you probably have heard. Um, he's also a little special. Um, but don't call him a retard, because that's not what he is. He's just special. Um, so anyway, happy to be here hosting the show. Um, also, I'm excited to tell you about some new projects that I've been working on with my brother. But for now, Murray, uh, hand it back over to the multi-geeks, Tim and Jason. Thank you, co-hosts. Um, now I wanted to talk about something that is famous. It was first famous with October. Now it is synonymous with Halloween with some alterations. And I just wanted to talk about why I think this particular thing has a bad rap. I'm talking about jack-o'-lanterns. Now, before you get up in arms, uh, if you're like, well, no, those are evil. And did you know that back when they used to have these pagan rituals, that when you would hang a jack-o'-lantern outside your house, it meant that the druids wouldn't come and kill you and those kinds of things? Well, I have yet to find um, anything that substantiates the claim that jack-o'-lanterns were around before in America. Or even, you know, like introduced to our culture before a certain year. Mm -hmm. So now, yeah, you can trace them back, and it's like, oh, it's evil. I just want to say this to anybody who says, well, jack-o'-lanterns are evil and they're pagan. Trace back the history of what a Christmas tree is. It's from the pagans. It's from the pagans. We do it, and it's fun. Um, And I'm just saying, I'm just pointing it out because I think that it should span the board. If you're going to be wacky about pagan rituals, let's not be picky to which ones we enjoy and we like the smell of and, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there, not to, like I said, I'm just looking to find the truth. I'm not, uh, I'm not just going to any, like, some of these Christian websites that I go to and things like that. Um, I will read the story, and it really, it's like there's different variations, but a lot of them aren't based in fact from what I've read. And I'm not just talking about Wikipedia. I'm talking about if you go to legitimate encyclopedias, you know, book form encyclopedias and things. And, of course, that's just collected knowledge. But I just want to get down to the bottom of things. And whether you celebrate Halloween or not, I would just let's kill the urban legends is all I'm asking. Wasn't the Easter Bunny a pagan thing? Yes. Uh, It's actually the goddess Oestra. Mm -hmm. um, And the eggs symbolize fertility. So, uh... Truly, it is also um, Easter, the word, has actually nothing to do with the resurrection of Christ. Um, And I've always been kind of like, I've always wanted to, I guess it sounds like sometimes I get down on Christianity. Mm -hmm. I myself uh, am a believer in the faith and, and things like that, so I don't want you to think like, well, what is he? Is he an atheist or something? No, I'm not an atheist. I just think that for a long time, as Jason just pointed out, there are traditions and things that have a bad rap or a good rap, and really the origins of them are not known. They're not anywhere biblically. And so I'm just saying if we're going to do it for one, let's do it for all. Let's stop giving certain things a bad rap and giving certain things a good rap because 
we've associated with and things we like. Yeah. <laughs> Versus, you know, so that's all I'm saying. But yeah, good call. Um, however, on to like a lighter, more fun subject about the Jack O'Lantern. <laughs> um, this is really neat to me. I found this uh, online, and it's the the idea that check this out in Ireland and Britain they would carve these lanterns from vegetables but they wouldn't use a pumpkin they would use a turnip and this is awesome to me a mangle wurzel oh yeah it's a kind of radish uh-huh. i guess or a swede but not until 1837 this is after after 1776 after the constitution after the articles of independence all that stuff we that is long gone not until 1837 does jack-o'-lantern appear as a term for a carved vegetable lantern. And the carved lantern doesn't become associated specifically with Halloween until 1866. Mm-hmm. So both didn't occur even in Ireland or Britain, as a, a historian David J. Skull writes. Although every modern chronicle of the holiday repeats that claim that vegetable lanterns, they were a time-honored component of Halloween celebrations on the British Isles, and no one can give documentation of that. In fact, none of those major 19th century chronicles or British holidays and folk customs, none of them make any mention whatsoever of carved lanterns, especially in connection with Halloween. So, and neither do any of the standard works of the early 20th century. So I just want to point out that the people who are saying they were pagan symbols from the Celts over in Ireland and all this other stuff, well, that is not documented anywhere in actual historical documents. So that's just, it, it, from what I found, that's a myth. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, again, going back to the people who were like, they're evil and they were involved in this. Well, not according to this. <laughs> what do you think about Jack O'Lanterns? I think they look neat. I think they look neat, too. Yep. Kind of like Christmas trees. Yeah. I don't bring the Christmas tree in my house and say, I worship this tree. Because who, honestly, I have no idea what kind of shenanigans a Christmas tree was involved in. (laughs) But I know it had something to do with bringing a tree in from outside, inside, having to do with, uh, I don't know, not, not fertility, but the... What is the botanical version of fertility? Like a good crop uh-huh. or something like that or like evergreen. Like bring it in even during the winter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Totally something I read a long time ago, but I I just remember that when I was looking it up, um, it had to do with those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But I still love the tree. It smells great. I love putting lights on it. In yeah. the same way, I love putting a candle in a pumpkin. It's fun to carve yeah, and take out the seeds and, you know, make a salted baked treat <laughs> so um we actually carved what was that? we carved jack-o'-lanterns a couple years ago yeah we had a pumpkin carving party that was pretty neat yep it certainly was harder than i thought it was gonna be what do you mean uh just as far as actually if you follow detailed um like oh uh, what's the word i'm looking for stencils sure yeah or outlines or yeah. whatever you want to say patterns mm-hmm. It is tough to get a knife to carve a hard pumpkin into these tiny slits without it breaking and getting mushy and that kind of thing. Mm. So when I see finely carved pumpkins, I'm usually very impressed. Yeah. Yeah, so. But um, tell me your first memory with a jack-o'-lantern. When was the first one you carved? Can you remember? Can you remember what kind of face? 
Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I remember that. Well, what was the first one you can remember back to? Was it two years ago when we did it together? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, not the first one, but yeah. what's the first one you can remember? And, like, actually remembering, um, taking it in your hand and going, I'm going to make this face, or maybe drawing on it. Or... Yeah, I think my when I was younger, my parents would always carve them, and, you know, I would just watch. I wouldn't do it myself. Sure. But, um, yeah, so back in the 80s is what I first remember. That's cool. I mean, that was... You figure, I was born in 82. Yeah, me too. Right. So we're the same age. Mm-hmm. And that would mean that, so we were like six, seven when they started doing that. Yeah. Mm, it was weird. I kind of had a strange upbringing in the way that my parents became um, more involved in Christianity and things like that and started mm-hmm. nixing the jack-o'-lanterns. But mm-hmm. then, like, dad would let us and then mom didn't want to let us. And so it, it would depend on who went to the grocery store and uh-huh. stuff like that. That's how I remember it. Um, but I would say that this last time, like two years ago, was the first time I ever sat and carved one that wasn't just your standard two triangle eyes, triangle nose, and the three teeth, two on top, one on bottom. Mm-hmm. I actually did, like, a we, we had stencils, and we did, like, some crazy faces and took pictures and stuff, and um, it was just a neat craft. Yeah, yeah. Um, and before, far before there were jack-o'-lanterns, pumpkins were associated with harvest, the October harvest mm-hmm. and things yeah. like that, you know, and so this is the yeah. October cast. I like those images too of like autumn uncarved pumpkins with sure. the leaves and stuff. The vines. Yeah, yeah. And and I love different colored pumpkins like dark orange, mm-hmm. lighter orange. Yeah. Um yeah, that's it's just really neat. Um have you ever heard the folktale of why they call it a jack o' lantern? Oh, possibly. I don't remember though. Well, it just, you know, got me thinking. It's like, well, you got a pumpkin. How do you go from pumpkin to Jack O' Lantern? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's just such a big leap. <laughs> so, here's an old Irish folktale. An old Irish folktale <laughs> from my people, Tim Kearney here. Can you read the whole thing in that voice? If you want, is that a challenge? I think it is. Is that challenging for you? I think maybe. Okay. I might go in and out of Irish and Scottish, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> Go gather round, Jason, for an old Irish folk tale that tells of Stingy Jack, a lazy yet shrewd farmer who uses a cross to trap the devil, old Scratch himself. One story says that Jack tricked the devil into climbing an apple tree, and once he was up there, Jack quickly placed crosses around the trunk and carved a cross into the bark so that the devil couldn't get down. Another myth says that Jack put a key in the devil's pocket while he was suspended upside down. Which, as a side note, I don't know why that would keep the devil in a tree (laughs) or that the devil has pockets. And so I'm thinking, okay, is that a tailored Satan suit you have? It was a Gucci. I'm trying to figure out. Um, As I was saying, another version of the myth says that Jack was getting chased by some villagers from whom he had stolen when he met the devil, who claimed it was time for him to die. However, the thief stalled his death by tempting the devil with the chance to bedevil the church-going villagers to chase him. Jack told the devil, Turn the coin in and make it so that whenever someone pays, the coin will disappear. Later, they'll all think that each other had stolen it and fight. The devil agreed to this plan, and he turned himself into a silver coin and jumped into Jack's wallet, only to find himself next to a cross Jack had also picked up in the village, 
Apparently, the cross, just one cross, <laughs> will hold Satan at bay entirely. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Jack closed his wallet tight, and with the cross, he stripped the devil of his powers, and so the devil was trapped. Um, so in both myths, Jack only lets the devil go when he agrees to never take his soul. Mm-hmm. You guys pretty, this guy pretty much tricks the devil, <laughs> and then he goes, okay, 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 really, let's stop. It's like, it's like if you're <laughs> wrestling and you start getting too rough and you uh-huh. actually hit somebody, and then you start really fighting real uh-huh. quick, and you go, okay, 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 truce. In the same way, this guy pretty much punches the devil in the face, more or less, and then says, okay, okay, I'll let you go, but don't take my soul. <laughs> so then, and this is where the legends kind of, you know, however, however it happened, the idea is, <clears throat> after a while, Jack died, as all living things do, and of course, his life had been too sinful for Jack to go to heaven. However, the devil had promised not to take his soul. And so he was barred from hell as well. Jack now had nowhere to go. He asked how he would see where to go as he had no light. And the devil mockingly tossed him an ember that would never burn out from the flames of hell. Jack carved out one of his turnips, which was his favorite food, put the ember inside of it, and began endlessly wandering the earth for a resting place. He became known as Jack of the Lantern, or... Jack O'Lantern. <laughs> Ta-da! Hey. So there is me reading an Irish folktale for uh, about three myths, and then I end it with one ending. It's kind of like Choose Your Own Adventure. Aww. The idea is that this is very folktale-ish. Mm-hmm. This seems like a tale designed to make something spooky up about something that already existed. Mm-hmm. I don't really believe that Jack trapped the devil in a coin or that he chased him up a tree and then that the devil gave him a fire of hell. That sounds to me like an urban legend, just Mm -hmm. ye old urban legend. Right. For lanterns that were made out of turnips already Mm -hmm. and things like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's neat to be kind of spooky and, of course, you might say, well, it's about the devil. I don't really believe that that's the true devil. I don't believe that's why the devil's dangerous because he'll chase you and give you a, an ember from hell. I don't think that's why the devil <laughs> in the classical Judeo-Christian mythos is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because he has pockets and hangs from trees upside down. <laughs> this is wacky to me. So, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. Maybe you're like, well, it's just this saying his name. Well, his name isn't even the devil. Yeah, His name is Lucifer, if you really want to believe in the Judeo-Christian mythos. And we never said, and then Lucifer came. And with all of the angels. You know, I don't know. I just thought that was a neat little folk tale. It was a neat little Halloween thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was kind of a cool story. I thought it would make a good, uh, if you did it right, it could make like a modern Sleepy Hollow kind of uh, cool Disney cartoon or something. Yeah, yeah. You know? So had you ever heard that one before? No. It's pretty neat, right? Yeah. Jack of the Lantern, which mm-hmm. is Jack O'Lantern, which makes sense. Yeah. So whether it's true or not, that's kind of the one that I'm going to have in my head is like, oh, yeah, this is where I think it came from. Right. So um, I guess that's pretty much all about jack-o'-lanterns and things. But I just figured we should talk about it because it's october and it's some people have a real mad on about it. They think it's evil and you shouldn't do it. And mm-hmm. So whether you believe that that is true or not, I just wanted to throw out there again Christmas trees. And as you pointed out, Easter's, Easter's, Easter and Easter eggs. Do you dye Easter eggs with your kids? Because 
I want someone to show me that in the Judeo-Christian Bible. <laughs> show me that in the original uh-huh. Hebrew text or in the Greek, you know, where Jesus died Easter eggs. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, if you want to call or email and ask me, well, what about the resurrection and what about the birth of Christ and all that stuff? I have beliefs on that stuff, but they don't necessarily have a, a tie directly to a tree or to an egg. So anyway, I just thought that was something interesting to talk about. Yep. So let's take it back to our co-hosts and see what they have to say. Thank you very much, Multigeeks. Um, that sounds like very interesting topics, what you were talking about. But however, I just wanted to use this opportunity, as I was told I could, to plug my own upcoming uh, comic book that I would also like to make into a television show. Um, it's called Handsome Devils. It's, it's loosely based on the life of my brother and I. Uh, it's very original art. Um, Murray uses all uh, Dewclaw thumbprints and Puma scat. I myself have written it. The characters are larger than life, very epic and Tolkien-esque, and my words and Murray's pictures join together like ferocious partners at a senior prom, dapper and tender and slightly sick on a seafood buffet all at once. <laughs> Good one, Murray. Murray wanted me to remind you that his drawings have been likened unto a flash flood of smeary leavings and third-grade state capital flashcards. Well, that's enough for our shameless plug. Don't forget, you can check out Handsome Devils, well, only here, in the cesspool that we live in, because there's only one copy. Back to the multi-geeks. Thank you, co-hosts. So, uh, what you doing over there? I'm taking a picture. What are you taking a picture of? My skull candle, because it's starting, it's starting to bleed out of one of its eyes. Now, that sounds so strange. But, yeah. Jason has this, it really just looks like a cool, it looks metal to me. Like, it looks like it's made out of steel. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a, it's a skull, and it looks about the size of, I don't know, just like a, a very small scale what would you say about the size of a small basketball? I don't know. Basketball? A grapefruit. A size of a grapefruit. A cantaloupe. Sure, I'll say that, yeah. Size of a cantaloupe. And uh, so this skull is really intricate and everything, and it's silver, and it's got like black washings over it and stuff, and it's got a lot of these designs. And I guess the inside of it's red. When you, you light it, the candle. Right, the wax is red. I'm sorry, yeah, the wax <laughs> inside is red, and so it. It goes down, and eventually, ta-da, right now, the wax is burned down enough to where it's dripping out of one of the eyes. And it and took many, many hours to get to this point. Yeah, it just started happening right now, and he goes, ooh, let me take a picture. So I thought I'd go ahead and point that out. That you he think was that doing looks that. cool? I think it does look pretty cool. Yeah, that's looks, what I've been waiting for. It is waxy. It's good. Like, it doesn't look silly like blood, like... You know, it's like, yeah. it looks neat, like a candle. Yeah. You know, just like a creepy candle that you'd see in a, you know, like a den of some, um, I guess I'm just thinking, like, if you go to back some of those old Tales from the Crypt episodes or something, it looks oh, like maybe yeah. it'd be burning in the corner. Mm-hmm. So, um, talking about Halloween decorations, or scary, or spooky, goodies for ghoulies, oh. tell me oh, a little yeah. bit about... Uh, these haunted memories, these haunted memories portraits, what are they? And and what do you think of them? They are portraits that look 
like regular people at first but then when you turn the angle of it it changes into like a, a ghoulish uh figure and what are they are they like school pictures are they new pictures old pictures they're they're vintage like sepia tone looking yeah and so all right and so these pictures are like of it looks like let's see here are some of the names so you can get an idea cousin harold little ruthie uncle percy little ophelia and these are like he was saying they look like old-timey portraits and then they morph into these they're more ghouls like where their mouths will get like sharp fangs and their eyes will turn black and stuff nothing terribly like gory it's just kind of unsettling because i guess the thing is is that these are motion censored like they look like regular pictures Mm -hmm. in your house from what i was reading it looks like when you walk by them they turn and so it's supposed to really be unsettling right. because it, at first glance it's like oh what is this a vintage and then it's like Whoa, and it'll turn right before their eyes it's not like it's not a video though it's like just changing your angle you know one of those things where you change oh, your angle it's and not the picture a, changes it's not a hologram it's a it's like you know what they are the 711 cups that has like uh, say it had they they'll have Iron Man or Transformers uh-huh. and you just you pretty much move the cup around and it's like oh okay Iron Man is blowing up a tank or he's yeah you know what I mean the it's, scene changes the scene changes yeah and it almost looks like if you look closely it almost looks like a bunch of lines uh-huh. like scan lines and when you it's like plasticky and you'll you'll know the material when you yeah. see it. it it is it is better material than that like oh, okay. it's a more advanced version of that right. But it's still all it is. It's not. Oh, okay. I don't think it's anything special. And to me, it, it just looks like cheap Photoshop to me. Oh, really? That's what I don't know. That's what yeah. I think. Well, and I, you know, it was not interesting. Not that it doesn't. I mean, it, it kind of looks realistic, but but like it's Photoshopped realistic. You know what I mean? I get what you're saying. Something that you can clearly see was digitally touched up yeah, to yeah, look like yeah, what it's yeah. supposed to look like right. versus that transparency where like okay if you're a writer what you're looking for is called transparent prose orson wells was huge on this where it's it's not about what words you use to be the best and the biggest and all that it's about using words to where the reader forgets they're even reading words Mm -hmm. transparent prose you want to do a transparent photoshop job same thing like when we talked about district nine those were transparent special effects. We never thought, oh, here's an effect shot. Mm-hmm. We always thought, oh, what's happening yeah. to Vicar and like what what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying this isn't that to me, right? I I don't. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't think of that. But when you point it out, it's kind of like, all right, I can see that. What I thought was a little cheesy is that on the website it might be different for me because I've seen them in person. It's oh a, yeah, it's a lot different I, than seeing a, a GIF on here. There is an animated GIF that looks really good, and you're saying it doesn't look like that live. No. no. Okay. Well, I, what I think is kind of hokey, a little cheesy is to me, is that they don't come with their own frame. So on the oh. website, it looks like this awesome golden antique frame, so it really sells it. But I guess that that's not included. <laughs> so you have oh. to get a frame. And I, I don't know that – I don't know the price tag on these things, but that plus a frame. And if they're not that great – all around, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where how much are you going to spend for a decent illusion? Yeah. You know, so I don't know if that's really awesome. The ones I have seen did come with frames. They were like, but it was like a, a plastic frame that was meant to look real. Sure, which is fine. And it was, you no, know, 
so it was kind of cheap. Oh, that's interesting. I thought you were going to be really into these, so I guess you've yeah. seen them live. I mean, I, I, I was when I first saw it online, but then when I've seen it in person, it's like, eh. I mean, I even bought one. Do you remember the one that I had? It was like, I think it was the Mona Lisa or one that looked like her. I had it hanging oh. up, and then when you turned, her face was like a, became a skull. I do remember that. Yeah, and it looked so cool online, and I was like, oh, and it was on sale for like $15. I was like, oh, I have to get this. And then I got it. I was so disappointed with that. Oh, no. You know what that reminds me of back in the 80s, 90s? Actually, the late 70s, early 80s, into the late 80s, you would do mail-order stuff in comic books. Yeah. X-ray glasses and stuff. Man, yeah. You were never getting a refund. It's just like, money back. But it's like, you. what right. are you going to do? You're going to write them a letter, and they're <laughs> going to mail you the money? Yeah. And that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Like, they're like, get these awesome decals, 15 <laughs> stickers, and you get them, and you're like, they're the cheapest things. They won't even peel off the paper they come on. Right, yeah. Um, that's what it reminds me of, is that you got hoodwinked <laughs> by yeah. an old comic book ad. Pretty much. Scare your friends with a picture of a lifetime. <laughs> you know, and it's like... <laughs> yeah. So... So I also wanted to talk about our pal Chupi. Yeah? Yep. And who is our pal Chupi? The Chupacabra. Ah, our guest host from last week. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that it would be a good idea to kind of go in depth for people who have never heard of what that is. Um, He's a dirty goat sucker. <laughs> that is actually literally what his name means because um, if you take the Spanish word chupar meaning to suck, and cabra, meaning goat. It's literally goat sucker. So they're usually called el chupacabras. Um, They're legendary as being goat suckers killing livestock. Yeah. Um, Now, you said something to me last week. You said that they're not just from Mexico, where you said that they were supposed to be. Well, I think that that is where they were first sighted, or at least, you know, one, or I I don't know how many sightings there have been, but. I think in uh, some of our uh, northern states have been seeing them around. And, and I, it's when this kind of thing comes along, it's like because you hear of it and it's like unknown, it becomes like kind of this mythical thing. But really, it's probably just an animal that we don't know what it is. That an animal we haven't discovered in research, you know. Well, and that's that's one theory, and it's a good one. Yeah. I, but it, I don't think it's like this magical creature that's, you know, that's appearing from another dimension or, or whatever people might come up with. It's actually a creature who can talk and co-host a show. What they don't know <laughs> is that you should see his rates, what we had to pay that guy to come and do it. No. Um, 500 goats an hour. It's ridiculous. You know what I had to go through to get 500 goats? I don't want to know. We only had them on we only had, had them on the show for like 38 minutes. No, oh, so I, it wasn't even that much. Yeah, it was like maybe 30 minutes, which is 250 goats, but still. It's mm, a lot of goats. Yeah, I just paid him in gummy bears. He was upset. <laughs> hey, I was going to say that the, the, the common theory is that it is wild dogs. Okay. Wild dogs. Yeah that roam it, free or so coyotes what i'm saying basically it's something mundane it's correct not... right now is this neat yes that's why we used I, it i mean now the mythical version of it where it is this crazy creature i like that as a fictional creature but i don't think that is the reality i agree 
and I think it's fun. And I feel the same way with a lot of the cryptids. Yeah. Like, I like them as mythical creatures in fiction and whatever, but I the reality of it is I don't think it's it's like that. Okay, now what is a cryptid? That's a good word. That's okay. A, that's a great word, but what do you what would you define that as? Um, it is, oh gosh, I knew the definition of that. It is, uh, un, like, undiscovered animals, something like that. I yeah. I can't think of what it is. I don't know the exact the, I can't think of the exact one. It's like cryptozoology. Zoolo- cryptozoology, yeah. Cryptozoology. The study of unknown creatures, I guess. Right, something in the neighborhood. Yeah. So a cryptid is kind of like the slangy term for a cryptozoological creature. Mm-hmm. I think that the cryptids would be the real popular one. That's what I say. When I say cryptid, I mean like the family of famous and sub-famous ones. Like I'm not just talking about anything unknown. I'm thinking Bigfoot, Sasquatch, well, Loch Ness yeah, Monster. What it applies to. When I say cryptid, I'm not talking about like – I know some people also say things like uh, like if you get a cryptozool- cryptozoology book, sometimes they'll be like the griffin. And the yeah. the what the, the chimera and things like that. And it's like ah, those are so far in fantasy and and mythical uh, origins from centuries ago. I don't consider those cryptids personally. Right. Yeah, um, that's just me. But when we're talking about cryptids, we're talking about chupacabra. I, and I think you like me. I'm correct me here. We like them all. They're neat. But I, I have a genuine fondness for some of the more obscure ones. Yeah. Um, like our co-hosts tonight. You know, yes. those are two cryptids who you might have heard about them. You might not. There's also the Mothman. Yeah. Who's in there, which is a cool one. Jason uh, told me he really liked the Mothman. I enjoy him. But um, Or it. Or it. Or her. Mm-hmm. Have you heard uh, the theory that uh, the Bigfoot type creatures are interdimensional? No. That's a theory. How about that? Sure is a theory. I uh I have a theory that that theory is ridiculous. Oh, that's, okay. That's my theory. That that theory is ridiculous. It's a good theory. Cuz we can't even find like scat. We can't even find poop from these creatures. Let alone uh hair or skin or anything like that. But now we're going to say that well, they I think they have found hair. They found Bigfoot hair? Of some type. It's probably like a dude. It's probably like chest hair. <laughs> it's like a hairy man. I think they, they know what a man's hair looks like. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. But well, you no, know, there oh, are okay. people researching it. Yeah. yeah. But oh. I, I think that the re- one of the reasons why they came up with this theory is because they will find footprints, a track of them, and they are big humanoid type footprints, but larger than an average man. And they will go to a certain point and then just stop. Even if the ground would still allow for, for footprints, they would just stop in this location. Now, here's the thing so about So they it. would think that maybe they would, at that point, they shifted dimensions. Let me throw out another one. All right. I am going to have some fun. <laughs> and so I cast these huge fake feet. Yes, well... <laughs> And so I have to start it, somewhere. It can be a hoax. And then sure. I have to end somewhere unless I want right. to live my life walking <laughs> on big fake feet. Um, but where are that person's footprints? 
Nate, no, I've already seen this. You can cover up your footprints easily in crop circles. Oh, see. I've seen time-lapse oh, no, footage of someone making crop, crop circles. circles. I'm just saying, I've seen footage of people making them flawlessly. Right, it's true. They do make them. Well, I'm just saying. But that doesn't mean that all of them are faked. No, I guess that doesn't. I choose to believe. I would say that there are some that are, yes, but not all. I think that some crop circles are probably made by giant 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 things that live in our universe that play army men and that is the bottom of what their toys look like <laughs> so just I like love that theory. okay and just like our gi joes have peg feet yeah that we if we put it in the dirt you see that little like the hole where the peg is for yeah. the foot yeah same deal <laughs> they're just playing big gi joes on different planets they're just coming and visiting and it's oh, like man. oh gi gleep glork <laughs> that's amazing so yeah i i guess it sounds like i'm a total naysayer i love fun stuff like that but i think that the people who i've seen who are big big proponents of these things usually put so much stock in zero evidence Mm -hmm. that there's like out there's no there's no proof of science in what they're talking about Mm -hmm. usually Mm -hmm. you know it's a lot of well if you just think of it this way and if you try this and if you you know Mm -hmm. like with the loch ness monster how they've the, the way that I've decided that it doesn't exist, she or he or whatever, is that the lake's ecosystem doesn't have large enough animals to support something that big. Mm-hmm. It's impossible if it eats either plants or or fish. Now, if it eats something else, like, say, interdimensional Bigfoots. <laughs> but if not, then the ecosystem of the lake can't support something as large as what has said to have been cited, as well as the fact that some people have come forward claiming the pictures we have are hoaxes. Right. And the, am I wrong? The Bigfoot, like the walking famous, like turned around walking Bigfoot, hasn't that someone come forward and said that that was a suit? No, that that has never been recreated. I think that's one of the, the biggest pieces of evidence that they have because they have not been able to recreate that suit like that huh. and make it look as realistic as that, that film. Oh, I see. The footage. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't... I just about all this stuff. I just don't close my mind to any of it. I say, okay, yeah, it might be true, but it might not. But I'm not going to say either way yeah. if it is or isn't. And I'll go and again, I'll go out on a limb. It's kind of strange to mention this in this kind of a show, but people who do believe in Christianity, there are a lot of things that you're just supposed to believe on faith. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is. Even it said that if you were back in the times of, of Jesus Christ, a lot of people didn't think he was who he claims to be. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, nah, he's crazy. And they just dismissed it, kind of like what you're saying. So again, I guess that for this episode, I'm kind of the naysayer and you're kind of the question asker. Like, well, it could be, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying that there are probably things out No, there are definitely things out there that we don't understand and that... Um, you know whether there's a skew public view of it there definitely could be some things out there worth looking into mm-hmm. yeah so it's good stuff which by the way in honor of chupacabra the goat sucker um we're going to post on the site some goat meat recipes um <laughs> which are legitimate recipes uh from uh the kitchen.com and that's the kitchen and the it's k-i-t-c-h-n um and just to give you an idea, two experts, two chefs have said that it's, goat is a lot like lamb. 
Um, and, you know, it's also called uh, Chevon or, or Chevin, but it's less gamey and a little leaner than lamb. And um, one of these chefs says that it has enough fat so that it'll withstand braising without becoming dry, um, but that a goat is pretty much all legs. So if you roast, say, like marinated shoulders or legs on top of some vegetables, like a bed of vegetables, that it's going to come out fantastic. So um, any recipe that you're familiar with that uses lamb, if you can get goat, goat can be substituted. So I thought that would be kind of fun to post. You know, we were talking about the chupacabras, the goat sucker. Maybe he's on to something. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of funny that you bring that up, though, because uh, last week Adrian and I were driving past some goats, and we were wondering, like, if people eat goat and who those people are, what cultures eat goat. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure which cultures do. Mm-hmm. I know one of the reasons why people keep goats on their land here in Florida. If you keep goats on your land, you get a tax break. So if you have land that you're trying to sell or that you want to sit on so it can accrue value and grow equity, if you put goats on it, it's considered agricultural land. And there's a a specific tax break to that. And from what I understand, goats take the least amount of work because they eat the grass and then you only have to feed them a certain amount. Mm -hmm. Like they're very easy to take care of. They're not like cows and uh, horses and things like that. So some of the people who own land here in our city will put goats on their field. Yeah. I think they're also less expensive than those other livestock animals. I'm going to get me some goats. All right. Let's go out. We're going to kidnap us a goat. It's habits going down tonight. I'm trying to lure the chupacabra back here. (laughs) We have tons of goats just here. (laughs) Succulent. They're really fat. Mmm. Goaty. Oh. Let's hear what our esteemed co-hosts have to say about that. Hey, Murray, are you recording while I was outside using the latrine? Get away from me. Get away from me. Sorry about that. For our last segment, I'm going to read you a uh, couple of pages out of Handsome Devil. <clears throat> Handsome Devil, issue one. Okay, I'm going to describe it to you. In this page, I'm I'm dressed like Knight Rider, but you could tell that I'm rich. And also, I have on a three-piece suit, and I am carrying Excalibur. What have you done to my wife? I say to Adolf Hitler. How long have you been masquerading as her? The president says to me, Wait, you must calm down. You will not accomplish anything with this outburst of anger. Then as I get angry, my muscles grow, and I turn into He-Man. But better than the regular one, because I have Excalibur. Well, no, relax. I made a couple of changes. I mean, you stayed the week at Meemaw's, so I took the liberty, you know. Calm, just calm down. Your breath smells like wet children's books and garlic. Just relax. We'll change it back. Relax. Okay. Listen, um, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, that's the show. I'll give it back to Tim and Jason. Thank you so much. Thank you, co-hosts. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Jason, what were you saying? Uh, I think it was in St. Augustine in a museum that I saw... Uh, vampire hunting kits. Real ones? Yes. They, I, they were claiming that they were actually used. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> My question is, how many innocent people died? <laughs> He is vampire, <laughs> and it's like that's my mother-in-law. She's pasty. Yeah. Nah, I went for the easy mother-in-law joke. Give me a break. No, but what did they look like? Um, it's hard for me to remember. It had, you know, I had like a steak in it. it had a little vial. Uh, I don't think there was anything in it, but it, it was to hold holy water. Right. Um, garlic and stuff were in it. I think wolfsbane. Um, maybe a pistol. Yeah, probably like a one-shot kind of... Yeah. Huh. I don't know if they were vampire werewolf kits. They may have just been vampire kits, but I think it it may have had, like, different... uh, Like, a few different stakes in it. Like, different shapes and sizes? Yeah, and I can't remember exactly what the case looked like. If it was a wooden box or, like, a a leather satchel kind of thing. Well, I saw a... uh, There was an article online where it was... Uh, vampire and werewolf hunting kits. Mm-hmm. And it was like, the article said, um, uh, it's the LA Weekly, it's actually the LA Weekly newspaper, but it says, vampire hunting kits, travel-sized boxes of pain and vengeance. <laughs> and, um, you know, these. It, this kind of showcases several different ones, and I guess we'll link to this, um, but I guess that there was a, one of them had a garlic syringe. Huh? Uh, this one's supposedly from 1880 Romania, and it has like a knife, a garlic syringe, metal teeth pliers for removing fangs, <laughs> miscellaneous crosses, and then bottles of holy soil. And this one is, um, like, it looks very old in, a, in a, like a red box. And that mallet is serious business. There's a mallet to drive in stakes. Then there are other ones where it's like... Um, there, you know, some have, like you said, some have pistols, crosses, guns, rosaries, um, things like that, that are just your standard, quote unquote, vampire hunting, you know, devices. Now, one of these is a, this is, this one sold for $14,850, almost 15 grand. And it's a 19th century vampire and werewolf, like a two for one killing kit, as it were, which really is just a, fancy way of saying it's a gun with silver bullets um so this one was just a gun with silver bullets but there there are several on here and uh, apparently they're real i guess you're telling me that they presented them to you in saint augustine as being real yes and on this site i I mean i don't imagine someone would pay fifteen thousand dollars for fake yeah so um there are several the vampires and werewolves were real it's oh right i'm sorry the kits but the kits (laughs) the kits were real uh, then they have like a retro style luxury one. Um, they're all different types, but we'll uh, we'll post a link to that and maybe some photos there. But um, what you got up on your screen there? That looks interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I really think that's neat looking. Little paper ghoulies. Paper ghoulies. Yeah. So tell me about this. Is this a free, cheap, paper toy? That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's fun for all ages. It's pretty cool if you and are. Well, what does it look Absurdly like? Absurdly simple to make. Yeah, I'm looking here, and what this is... is this Some of it. What website is this? Oh, uh, ravensblight.com. And, oh, excuse me. I just did a little Coke Zero Snickers burp there. Um, the The site itself is just... It's free, printable paper toys. Yeah. Um, they're 3D. You put them together in some cases. In some cases, you don't. You just cut them out. One of them I really liked were little pocket monsters. Yeah. 
That was fun. I'm it's fond of those. It's just these little cartoonish looking, you know, skeletons, and there's like a look like a squid monster and stuff. And you just cut it out, and you have the arms hang over the pockets. Yeah. So, are you gonna print those out and wear them? I don't have shirts with pockets. You need to get that going. Maybe, but I don't know. I might. Yeah. Or you I'll figure get... out something else to do with it. Well, that's true too. You can also be a little creative and studious and figure out another place to put it. You know you could do something on the wall, like make, I don't know, some kind of pockets on the wall or something. I don't know yeah, how that would work. I but wear them around town, though. Ah, uh, yes. I'm trying to think of where that would fit. That could potentially fit. I don't know. I'm thinking, like, <laughs> like a, put it in your pants pocket. No, people wouldn't see it. Put it hanging out of your shirt collar. That'd be weird. That'd be like <laughs> just begging for attention. It wouldn't be neat. Like, oh, look at yeah. that. It'd be like, wow, that guy's weird. I think it'd have to be a, wow. They'd probably still think I'm weird if I have it hanging out of my pocket. Nah, they'd Especially be like, oh. it's not October. <laughs> oh, oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah, you're right. And you would. Yeah. Which, that's fine. There's a werewolf, a Frankenstein's monster. And they're cartoonish. If you're like, well, I don't want my kids wearing that stuff. It's just these little paper cartoony pocket monsters. Nosferatu. The vampire. But they're, they look neat, and uh, on this Raven's Blight website, there are all kinds of paper toys. And if you have ink in your printer, you can make 3D faces. I mean, they have... Well, I like the, the coffin boxes. Yeah, there's little coffins. There's old-timey cars, like haunted the haunted car. Yeah. There's, like, a ghost house, and it's pretty much just... That one's a little more intricate. That's a mansion, so if you're into 3D yeah. puzzles or things like that, you would be paper really interested craft. in this. Papercraft is the exact word for it, and this is an entire site dedicated to spooky papercraft. That's the Raven's Blight Toy Shop, and that's www.ravensblight.com. So check that out. Let us know what you think of it, and uh, if you make anything, take some photos and let us see your Raven's Blight creation. So definitely a shout-out to our friends over at Raven's Blight. I have to look at this stuff. All over the site it says Ray O'Bannon, and I thought it was Roy O'Bannon from... Uh, Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Roy O'Bannon versus the mummy. But it's Ray O'Bannon. Yeah. So uh, it looks like Ray O'Bannon makes music. Yes, got... he does. I don't know. I've never heard of it. <laughs> I haven't heard any of the music. There's also some free computer games on here. We're not advocating that you get any of these things, but check it out and let us know. We haven't really gone too far into the the Raven's Hole. Ha, ha, ha. So... I wanted to end the show with you reading a story. Yeah? It's going to be story time. Story time with the Multi-Geek Show, Octobercast. Now, what story and why? Uh, Well, this is out of the Scariest Stories to Tell in the Dark book, the one that I I told you about earlier. The one, the first one you wanted when you were a kid and you begged your parents for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In third grade, we had a project where we had to read a story and then on a poster board, you know, make a whole uh, display about that story. Right. You know, I guess what you liked about it, maybe something about the story. Sure. And so this is the story that I use. It's called, the, I think it's called The Big Toe. And I, I cut up the book. I actually cut the pictures out of my book and pasted them on this cardboard. And everything. Wow. Or the, uh, the, what is it called? Paperboard? Poster board? Poster board, yeah. And uh, so I made the project for this story. And this one that I'm holding in my hand, this actual book, is a compilation. It's called uh, Scary Stories Treasury. And um, the compilation is actually uh, by Alvin Schwartz, uh, illustrated by Stephen Gamble, and is the compilation of 
Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones. And all of those are, um, they're collected from folklore and then retold by Alvin Schwartz. So, um, we're going to go to the story that Jason did his project on, and it's, it's actually the first story in the book, and it is called The Big Toe. A boy was digging at the edge of the garden when he saw a big toe. He tried to pick it up, but it was stuck to something. So he gave it a good hard jerk, and it came off in his hand. Then he heard something groan and scamper away. The boy took the toe into the kitchen and showed it to his mother. It looks nice and plump, she said. I'll put it in the soup, and we'll have it for supper. That night, his father carved the toe into three pieces. And they each had a piece. And then they did the dishes. And when it got dark, they went to bed. The boy fell asleep almost at once. But in the middle of the night, a sound awakened him. It was something out in the street. It was a voice, and it was calling to him. It groaned. When the boy heard that, he got very scared. But he thought, it doesn't know where I am. It never will find me. Then he heard the voice once more. Only now it was closer. It groaned. The boy pulled the blankets over his head and closed his eyes. I'll go to sleep, he thought. When I wake up, it will be gone. But soon he heard the back door open, and again he heard the voice. Where's my Then the boy heard footsteps move through the kitchen, into the dining room, into the living room, into the front hall. Then slowly, they climbed the stairs. Closer and closer they came. Soon they were in the upstairs hall. Now they were Outside his door. Where's my toe? The voice groaned. His door opened. Shaking with fear, he listened as the footsteps slowly moved through the dark towards his bed. Then they stopped. Where's my toe? The voice groaned. The boy was so frightened he couldn't move. He just lays in his bed. And as he takes the covers and slowly peeks, he finally has the courage to ask. What do you got such big eyes for? And the creature answers. To look you through and through. And the boy says, What do you got such big claws for? To scratch up your grave. And what do you got such a big mouth for? To swallow you whole. What do you got such big teeth for? To chomp your bones. And as you give that last line, you pounce on one of your friends. This concludes the Multi-Geek Show, October cast number two. I hope you enjoyed it. 
Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again next week.